0: to episode 40, the truth about Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on Twitter or Facebook and the topics such as student loans, abortion, the electoral college, climate change, the Democratic Party, or the contrasts and similarities between Islam, Christianity, and Judaism come up, please share the truth Quest episode with your debate partner. If you are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a minute and scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest Podcast Patronage page. It's available on the show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com. The easiest way to stay up to date on the podcast is to subscribe to it on iTunes or Google Play Music. It's also available on Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, and Podbean. Finally, please join the conversation on Facebook, at Facebook.com forward slash TruthQuest podcast. As regular listeners know, every fifth episode or so, I try to publish a Christian apologetic topic. So far, we have covered the resurrection of Jesus, God and evil, prayer, the life of Jesus, the Judeo-Christian tradition, the historical reliability of the New Testament, and the existence of God. After recording episode 26 on the Judeo-Christian tradition, I realized that I really do not know much about the other monotheistic religion in the world, Islam. I hear a lot about jihad, I understand their daily prayer habits, and I know a little bit about Sharia, but that's about it. So I thought I would take an episode to compare and contrast these three major monotheistic religions. Since I've already spent episodes covering both Christianity and Judaism, let's start this one with Islam. So what is Islam? Well, in 610 AD, an Arab merchant named Muhammad claimed to receive revelations from the archangel Gabriel. Over the course of the next 22 years, Muhammad, who is regarded by Muslims as God's last and final prophet, launched a distinct religious movement and was able to unite much of the Arab world through military conquest. He died in 632 AD. The Quran was compiled after his death. So, the Qur'an doesn't contain the teachings of Muhammad, that's where the hadith comes in. That's a collection of essential sayings, teachings, deeds, and stories of Muhammad. It's a pretty large collection of literature, usually arranged topically rather than chronologically. The earliest hadith collection was about 125 years after Muhammad's death. Larger sections were compiled as long as 200 years after he died. Muhammad thought that he was God's spokesman to the Arab people, like Jesus, Moses, and Abraham. There are verses in the Quran that say we all worship the same God. So initially there was really no conflicts between Christians or Jews. He even had his followers kneel and face Jerusalem. He became a voice of justice for the poor in, in Arab society. He felt like the Arab people had direct bloodline to Abraham from his second son Ishma. You may recall from Genesis, Abraham and his wife Sarah were unable to have children, so she gave her servant Hagar to Abraham So hopefully she can bear him some children. Well, she did. She bore him a son named Ishmael. Eventually, Sarah gave birth to Isaac, and Hagar and Ishmael were cast off. However, God came to Hagar and promised to take care of her and her son. He said, I will make him a great nation. That's from Genesis 21.18. God also promised the same for Abraham's other son, Isaac. Isn't that an interesting intersection between Islam and the Judeo-Christian history? For the first few years of receiving God's revelations, the Quran stressed peaceful coexistence with others, but Muhammad ran into hostility from many in Mecca where he preached because they were a polytheistic culture. He of course preached one God, Allah. Eventually he and several hundred followers left Mecca for Medina. This is where the religion seemed to take a more violent turn. It's called the Medinian Verses by Islamic scholars, and he began to preach about open warfare against perceived enemies. This is also called Jihad. Essentially, Muhammad was given permission by Allah to fight when necessary. The Quran explains that believers in Allah have a duty to war against non-Muslims. It sanctions the taking of captives as the spoils of war, and it clearly outlines that Allah will reward holy warriors who fight on his behalf. So after raiding Meccan merchants for years, he finally seized the city by force and had control of much of what is now the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. Some of his early popularity can be attributed to his lucrative military victories that he shared with his followers, along with his political savviness and his personal charisma. The military conquests continued after his death as Muslims attempted to push into modern day Turkey and successfully swept across northern Africa and into Europe. Christians and Jews were allowed to remain in Muslim lands as long as they paid additional taxes. The vast majority of Muslims going back to Muhammad see their faith as a holistic, all-encompassing way of life. It's inseparable from politics, the law, and social issues. After Muhammad's death, his successors vanquished the Persians in the East and the Byzantine Romans in the West. As the Roman Empire crumbled, Muslim control in the region spread from Spain to India. At this point, the Quran did not exist, so they relied on the Hadith and oral traditions. At the end of the day, Muhammad was a religious, political, and military leader. Islam, the faith, is not inherently bad by any means. What is bad is what's called Islamism, or radical Islam, that takes a fundamental hardline view of the religion. Unfortunately, at the heart of Islam is the idea of submission, and that is where the extremists take things too far. More on that in a minute. So, what are the similarities between Islam, Judaism, and Christianity? Well, number one, I've already mentioned that they're all monotheistic. There's one God. The Jews have God, the Christians have God, slash Jesus, slash the Holy Spirit, called the Trinity and the Muslims have Allah. Number two, all three are traced back to Abraham who is considered a great prophet by all three religions. He is the patriarch of the ancient Israelites and Jews today. According to Muslims, Muhammad himself is descended from Abraham as well. Number three, both Christianity and Islam grew out of Judaism. Number four, the Torah is part of the Christian Bible. Christians believe the Old Testament is the word of God just like the New Testament. We know Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. He followed all the Old Testament customs growing up, but during his short ministry, he changed the rules. The Qur'an affirms the holiness of the Old and New Testaments and their prophets from Moses to Jesus. Sihad Ritzi of the University of Exeter had this to say when trying to equate the three religions. He said, almost all the prophets of the Qur'an will be familiar to those who know the Bible and the Qur'an explicitly refers to parables, ideas, and stories from the Bible. The common roots and inheritances of the three faiths make it useful for us to think seriously in terms of the Judeo-Christian Islamic civilization and heritage that we all share. Number five, all three preach about judgment and resurrection after our day of judgment. And finally, number six, all three agree that a man named Jesus lived in the first century in the area now known as Israel. So what about violence? Clearly violence is a part of the Islam almost from the beginning, as we discussed. That's true. The Old Testament has plenty of violence in it, too. That's true. The ancient world certainly was a nasty place. And yes, the Bible depicts stories of God commanding his followers to kill non-believers. Christianity is a religion of peace. If you follow Jesus, you are commanded to love everyone, even your enemies, not to convert them. You are told to be humble. You know, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And Jews are taught tolerance and coexistence. What about the Crusades? That's always the elephant in the room when it comes to talking about violence in Islam, and it's an irritating point made by Muslim apologists and anti-Christian groups who constantly point out that the Crusades were the equivalent of Islamic Jihad. But in reality, that just deflects and casts dispersions on Christians. They make it out as if it happened in a vacuum. You know, a group of Christians woke up one day and just went on a killing spree. Of course, they ignore the fact that nothing like that has occurred in the centuries before or since then. But when apologizing for modern-day atrocities of Muslims, apologists got to find something to hang their hat on. Now, the truth about the Crusades, that may be a topic for a future podcast episode, but suffice it to say, Muslims had been wreaking havoc for centuries with military conquests, as we discussed. The Crusades were as much a reaction to that than anything else. They occurred in 1100 AD. And it was the initial rationale for them was to take back the land that Muslims previously had seized by the conquest from, from Christians. So, it doesn't, does it make it right? Nope. Just the truth. So, where did the three religions diverge? While the three faiths of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all converge around the person of Abraham, these three faiths diverge at the person of Jesus Christ. The belief in Jesus as savior became the dividing point. For the Christian perspective, they simply believe that Jews just stopped short. Jesus was God on earth. He was the Messiah they had been waiting for. Islam teaches that Jesus is among the holiest of prophets, second only to Muhammad. But he was not the son of God, just a messenger. And he was not crucified or killed because God brought him to heaven before he died. So Jews and Muslims deny key beliefs of Christianity. That God is a trinity. That God came and walked among us via Jesus. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that he rose from the dead. Well, what about miracles? The Old Testament is full of miracles or supernatural events performed by God. There are 35 or 40 recorded miracles performed by Jesus in the New Testament. Now, Muhammad claimed that he was just a man, no miracles. However, it is interesting to note that around 150 years after his death, miracles were attributed to Muhammad in the Hadith. So, I found that to be kind of an interesting historical nugget. Now, what about Sharia law? Large majorities of Muslims in countries like Afghanistan Iraq, um, the Palestinian territories, Malaysia, uh, Bangladesh, and throughout the Middle East f- favor making Sharia the official law in their country. There are calls in the United States for separate Sharia courts in some areas. Unfortunately, it conflicts with many human rights, especially of women. More importantly, in the United States, many of the freedoms granted under, under our Constitution are in direct conflict with Sharia. There is no such thing as freedom of speech in Islam because that freedom comes with the requirement to absorb criticism, insults, and ridicule whether it's truthful or not. Anyone paying the least bit of attention to the news fully understands what happens if Muhammad is criticized or ridiculed. You know, Christians and Jews do not try to silence or murder people who publish anti-Christian or anti-Jewish propaganda or cartoons. So it's admittedly tough for for non-Muslims to reconcile a religion that believes in stoning and killing people because they don't share their views. What about treatment of homosexuals? This is also an irritating aspect of American mainstream media and liberals who in general condemn anyone who does not join them in their so-called respect for various perceived to be aggrieved groups in America, the war on women, homosexuals, transgender, and the like. Their claims are ridiculous on their face given all the unconstitutional anti-discrimination laws and general tolerance in our Judeo-Christian-driven society, but compare this to the treatment of these folks in Muslim countries. I mean, the contrast is laughable. Is it a sin under Judeo-Christian beliefs? Yes. Is it unnatural by anyone's most basic understanding of biology? Yes. Do homosexuals deserve grace and respect? Yes. Do homosexuals serve as pastors and rabbis in America? Yep. So, here's something I came across during my research of the episode. Uh, it's at a YouTube channel called Act 17 Apologetics. It's run by a guy named David Wood, who I had heard interviewed on a few occasions. He argues that the Quran has some built in inconsistency when it comes to the Bible. The argument goes something like this The Quran claims that Allah revealed the inspired, authoritative, preserved word of God in the Torah, the Gospel, and the Quran. However, the Qur'an contradicts the Bible in a number of ways. So either Christians have the inspired, authoritative, preserved word of God, or they don't. As the argument goes, if they do, then Islam is false because it contradicts the Bible. If it does not, then Islam is also false because it affirms the inspired, authoritative, preserved nature of the Bible. This was another one of those cool historical nuggets that I stumbled across while researching this episode, and possibly a topic for an entire future episode. Other areas of difference. Whereas Judaism and Christianity grew out of a group of persecuted minorities, except for its earliest days, Islam has always been associated with power and conquest. Also, consider that Christianity began as a peaceful faith and was illegal for almost 300 years during the Roman Empire. By contrast, Muhammad turned a military force to spread Islam. So Islam has been a political force almost from its very beginning. Jews and Christians were persecuted minorities, The Jews fled Egypt, and like Christians they continue to be persecuted and killed in many parts of the world. The contrast between the beginnings of Christianity and Islam are pretty stark. In the beginning you could have been killed for being a Christian, and in some parts of the world that remains true today. Whereas in the beginning of Islam, you could have been killed for not becoming a Muslim. It's pretty amazing to consider the fact that Christianity survived and thrived with its leaders being persecuted, tortured, and killed. It made a big difference that they saw what Jesus did. What about submission? One other area where differences between Christianity, Judaism, and Islam are pretty stark is the idea of submission. Under Christianity and Judaism, submission refers to submitting to God's will, submitting to his rules, his commandments. Submission under Islam, of course, carries the same connotation, but it also carries with it that ever-present focus on non-Muslims submitting to Islam. Again, this is where things can get ugly. In a way, failing to submit to Islam puts you at war with God, and true believers are instructed to fight you until you submit and declare that there is no other God but Allah. Non-believers and hypocrites are to be subdued and fought. Hypocrites are people who are non-practicing Muslims or those who are improperly practicing Islam. There's nothing really voluntary about it. Christianity and Judaism make demands on their community of believers. Islam demands submission from everyone, Muslims and non-Muslims. What about evangelism christians evangelize and persuade based on the evidence there's no pressure just present jesus's messages and love the people with whom you evangelize to. jews do not really evangelize but orthodox jews do strictly practice their religion which means following lots of traditions there's dietary and work restrictions various holidays and customs it's really a beautiful thing christians and jews invite people in Judaism and Christianity do not call on believers to impose their beliefs on non-believers. It's more of a mentality of sharing, and that's not really the case with with Muslims. There really is no live and let live in Islam. The Quran refers to Jews as deceivers and enemies of Islam since Allah had given them the first revelation through Moses, and the Jews refused to obey. So this explains one of the root causes of the centuries-old turmoil in the Middle East. Here's another example of differences between the three religions. When Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment, he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. When Muhammad was asked a similar question, what is the best deed, he said to believe in Allah and his messenger. When asked what is next, he replied to participate in jihad in Allah's cause. So what about acts of evil? When a Jew or Christian commits acts of evil in the name of their God, they are roundly condemned by Jewish and Christian leaders. But how often do you hear Muslim leaders speak out against acts of violence committed by fellow Muslims? Now part of me understands their unwillingness to speak out as the consequences of doing such could lead to more violence, but this time against them. I get that. But what I don't get are people, Muslims and non-Muslims alike, making excuses for the violence. You know, you hear the blame, they blame America's imperialistic military actions, or they blame poverty in Muslim regions for the violence. There may be some truth to those claims, but a little truth-telling and proportionality is in order. What about conversion? If a Christian converts to Judaism, or becomes an atheist, or becomes a follower of Islam, as a general rule what happens. Contrast that with what happens, generally speaking, if a Muslim converts to anything. What about the treatment of women? Two of these monotheistic religions call for equal treatment of women. Marriage is one man and one woman. Sex outside of marriage is considered a sin. Yes, there is a passage in the book of Ephesians calling for women to submit to their husbands. However, all you have to do is read a few more verses further and see that men are called to love their wives as they love their own bodies. And in the time in ancient history where women were subjugated and not even allowed to testify in legal proceedings, Jesus surrounded himself with women. They were the first to discover the missing body on the morning of his resurrection. The Qur'an, however, contains many passages of built-in inequality. Men can carry multiple wives. Women receive less inheritance. In a trial, one male witness is worth two female witnesses. If you pay any attention to the news, you are well aware of other restrictions put on Muslim women depending on what country they live in. Some of them have, have to wear full burqas, There's driving restrictions, they can be killed if they commit adultery. Uh, freedom of movement without uh, a male's permission, Uh, there's travel and school and work restrictions, Uh, marrying a non-Muslim is obviously frowned upon, and in extreme cases you have sex slavery and female genital mutilation. So at the end of the day, one thing is clear. While Islam, Judaism, and Christianity have a lot in common, there are also major differences. And given these contradictions between them, all of them cannot be true. If what the Christians say about Jesus is true, then both Judaism and Islam are false. The Jews have ignored their Messiah for 2,000 years, and Islam runs into some problems because they do not recognize the resurrection, which is at the heart of Christianity. So remember, without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. So at the very least, I hope this episode piqued your interest and prompts you to explore the truth further. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.